When you come down with COVID, do you hunker down, missing work or school? Well, the CDC could change those guidelines according to recent media reports. So what does that mean for the workplace, for schools, and for vulnerable populations? This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. Today, we're going to talk about what the agency is considering and why. Joining me now to help explain all this and offer some advice for staying healthy during cold and flu season is University of Cincinnati Gregory W. Ruin, Professor of Internal Medicine, Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum. Welcome back, Dr. Fichtenbaum. Thank you, Lucy. I got that name pretty close on the on the endowed chair. It's I'll get perfect. it next time. Okay, great. The University of Cincinnati is a financial supporter of Cincinnati Public Radio. Do you have questions about COVID guidelines? Give us a call at 513-419-7100, or you can email talk at wvxu.org. So, Dr. Victor what is the new COVID guidance that the CDC is considering? So the current guidance remains in place, but there are some discussions behind the scenes talking about changing guidance from the five-day rule that currently exists where if you are infected with COVID and you have no symptoms, you're supposed to wait five days till you go back into public. If you're symptomatic, you need to wait five days and make sure that your symptoms are improving and you've had no fever for a day or two. So the new guidance That's would, the old guidance. That's, that's what right. we're all supposed to do Yeah, now. the new guidance would sort of change that a little bit to say if you are symptomatic but your symptoms are better and you haven't had a fever for a day, it doesn't matter if it's been five days, you can go back and go back out in the public, go to work. And that's a little bit more like kind of the cold and flu now, right? It's exactly like the guidance that they provide for RSV or respiratory syncytial virus and for influenza. Hmm. What do you think about that? Do you think it makes sense to stop recommending that five days of isolation? I mean, there are still a lot of people getting COVID. Yeah, so there. I think there's two parts to this story. So first of all, I think making COVID more routine like other respiratory viruses makes perfect sense. At this point in time, it does not appear to be any more dangerous than influenza in terms of hospitalizations and leading to mortality. But the other part of this whole story is we don't do a terrific job of public health prevention. There still remain a number of vulnerable populations throughout the age spectrum, very young children, older Americans, and also people who have immune deficiencies. They may have cancer treatment, HIV. They may be a transplant patient or on some other fancy biologic agent that changes their immune system. And we don't do a very good job with our public health of protecting people from getting common viral illnesses because it's not really in our culture and in our public health system ingrained that when you're sick, you stay home. And there's a lot of barriers to that. Workplaces don't really recognize this so much. People have a certain number of sick days per year, and if they miss work, sometimes they lose their job. And if you have kids who go to school, you know, when they're sick, sometimes they can't go to school. Sometimes they have to go to school because you have to go to work. So I think that 
the way we've organized our priorities and the way that we've thought about public health doesn't really take into account what happens. Mm -hmm. Well, and there are some people who have jobs where they don't get paid sick time off. If they're not at work, they don't get paid. Right. And that makes it really hard to adhere to any sort of advice. And so if you live in a household where you have grandma, grandpa, or little children, you know, it becomes problematic because when they get sick, sometimes they can get very sick and then it leads to more trouble. And I also think that there's one other um, big theory that's been going on for several decades, which has to do with recurrent infections over a lifetime. So there's this theory that if you have an infection, it leads to some sort of inflammation or irritation in your body, and that over a lifetime, that may take a toll on you in many different ways. Um, it can lead to hardening of the arteries and heart attacks and strokes. It can lead to aging and frailty. So the more someone gets an infection of any kind, the more we may have other problems later on in life. So there are some really good things that we probably need to think about as a society for protecting ourselves and thinking about what kind of rules we create. Mm -hmm. What are some of those things? Well, I think that, you know, it makes logical sense if you can do this, that if you're sick, you should probably stay away from most everybody. If you can isolate yourself in your home for till you're feeling better, there's a period of contagiousness. Uh, for most infections, the period is usually somewhere about 24 hours before your symptoms start. And then usually it's anywhere between three to five days after that. It depends on if you have a fever or not and how symptomatic you are and then the specifics of each different thing. For COVID, we know that most people are, are very contagious within that 24-hour period just before they develop symptoms and usually for about 72 hours after their symptoms develop, it really tails off about day three and five, excuse me, day four and five. And when people's fever is gone, then most likely the amount of virus that they're shedding is much less. So, you know, you want to think about these really common sense kinds of things I probably shouldn't go to that show. I probably shouldn't go to that restaurant. Maybe I should stay away from work. Maybe I should, you know, work from home if I can. Maybe my I shouldn't send my kid to school or something like that. But I think in our society, the way we're set up, that's not necessarily how people think. Mm -hmm. I think one of the things that people always think, too, is, is that, well, I'm just feeling a little off today. Maybe I'm having a bad day. And they don't realize that they're infected with something. And also, we don't test ourselves for every infection. It's very, very unusual that we developed a lot of these home tests, which we did for a good reason initially in the pandemic, because we have to remember that more than 1.1 million Americans died mm -hmm. from COVID. So it wasn't trivial, certainly when it started. Right. We're talking about the new COVID isolation guidance that the CDC is reportedly considering. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100, or you can email talk at wvxu.org. We do have a caller on the line. 
Hey, John, thanks so much for calling. What is your question? My question for the doctor is, uh, at this point, what would be a considered someone that's uh, fully inoculated with all the boosters? Uh, I had the two original COVID shots, and I believe I've had two booster shots. Is there another time frame that uh, a third booster is available, or uh, as things change, I guess I get, I'll wait for the update. Okay, thank you. Yeah, it's a great question. So uh, right now, what is generally being recommended is that people get an initial two doses of vaccine. And in fact, uh, some people, if you've never been vaccinated before, a single dose may be enough to start out for a season. Our best guess is that probably gives you pretty protective immunity for about six months. And so as this becomes more seasonal and we see more COVID in the fall and the winter months, it probably is going to make sense that when you think about getting your influenza shot that you would get a COVID booster. We are working on a number of different new vaccines for COVID that provide longer protection because ultimately we'd love to have a flu shot and a COVID shot that might last five years and provide immunity. The best immunity that we know people have is when you've had COVID and you've effectively been vaccinated, you seem to have the best protection from protecting you from having a more serious illness, being hospitalized, and also getting long COVID as it turns out. So there are benefits to being vaccinated. So great question. Mm -hmm. Thank you, John. And it seems like, um, you know, if you've gotten those initial, the initial boosters, you got, you've gotten every shot, should you just plan on continuing to get every time there's a new shot, get it, get it when you can? Yeah, I advised my patients now to think about getting it in the fall for the upcoming season, because I anticipate that the number of people getting COVID in the spring and summer will decline as we're outdoors and we're a little bit more separated from each other. So I think it makes sense to do that. So I do encourage people to do it. And it just depends on what the latest vaccine is. Right now we have a good menu of a couple of vaccines that seem to work pretty well protecting people. And I don't think people should ignore the fact that long COVID is a really important problem and it does turn out that people who've been immunized have less of a chance of developing long COVID. Yeah. We started out talking about this new guidance that the CDC is, is supposedly considering that's more symptom-driven, more so than this strict five-day isolation rule. If you do have COVID and you haven't had a fever, your symptoms are, are you know, non-existent or, or getting better, and you do go back to work or school, should you be masking? Yeah, I think it makes sense that when you are still symptomatic or you have just been diagnosed with COVID and you have no symptoms, that wearing a mask for five days makes really good sense because the amount of particles that you actually transmit in the air to others is decreased. So while masks may not 100% protect you from getting breathing something in, and we know that we don't always have the best fitting masks, and if you have a face like mine where you have a beard, you really can't get one of those tight N95 or KN95 masks to really fit very tightly. So the idea behind it is, is that 
whoever is sick, they're hopefully not spreading as many particles out there in public, and that does decrease transmission. And there are enough studies now to tell us that this works for a lot of viruses. Mm -hmm. And when we started talking about this new guidance, you said, you know, that if I'm remembering correctly, that, hey, this, we're going to, it could be that this new CDC guidance, if and when it comes out, will treat COVID more like the flu, more like RSV, some of these other um, viruses and infections that are around. Does that mean COVID is becoming seasonal, that it's becoming more like the flu or the common cold? I think it's becoming more like them in many ways in the sense that most people who get it are sick for probably maybe three to five days or have minor what we call subclinical illness where they don't feel very much, maybe just a little bit off. It hasn't quite become seasonal yet in the sense that there are still people getting it all throughout the year. So I think it takes a little while, probably anywhere between you know, two to four years for a pandemic to really become seasonal at some point in time. And part of that is with this particular virus, which is unusual, is it has many, many mutations and adaptations. And so I think it's trying to find its niche and there may be further adaptations that occur. What we've seen consistently, if we follow wastewater, we see a pretty consistent amount of COVID still ongoing throughout the general public. And it has become like other illnesses in the sense that we're testing for it far less now Mm -hmm. because we're just not uh, doing as many tests at doctor's offices. We're not reporting it. So people are often doing home testing. So there are many, many more cases that occur than what is actually reported And that's very much like influenza and RSV, where we have sentinel sites around the country that do more extensive reporting, but we use other methods such as social media and different ways in which people report symptoms to estimate the prevalence of particular viruses. Well, we're going to continue our conversation in just a moment. And later in the program, we'll hear about growing support for Black artists in Cincinnati. This is Cincinnati Edition. This is Cincinnati Edition on 91.7 WVXU. I'm Lucy May. We're continuing our conversation about new COVID guidelines that the CDC is reportedly considering and talking about how to stay healthy during this cold and flu season. My guest is University of Cincinnati Gregory W. Ruan, Professor of Internal Medicine, Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum. You can join the conversation by calling 513-419-7100, or you can email talk at wvxu.org. Dr. Fichtenbaum, you know, we've been talking about this new potential guidance, and um, there are people who are just kind of tired of COVID. It's been around with us for a number of years now, but there are still thousands of people across the country being hospitalized with COVID each week, hundreds of people dying each week in the United States. Considering that, what what's the argument for changing the guidance? It seems like it could be kind of controversial. Well, I think there is some controversy. I think some people have likened this to the use of seatbelts. You know, if I don't feel like wearing my seatbelt, should I not wear my seatbelt? Well, we made it a law for people to wear seatbelts. And the reason we did that was because we realized that when you're restrained and you're in a car accident, it saves lives. And in the same way, I think that we have to think a little bit about public health and what makes the most sense. 
I think right now what is really driving these discussions is the workplace and schools and how we have organized our society so that the decisions we make about our public health are really directed to trying to keep society going in the way in which we think it should be going. I think ultimately we need to change that because if we could pass less infection between one another, it's probably going to be better for all of us in the long run. There is a toll of being infected. Every time you are, it takes a toll on you for a lifetime when you think about it. All of us probably have anywhere between 20 to 100 infections over the course of a lifetime. Imagine if we cut that number in half, would that mean that as we age, we might experience less of other problems? So I think there's many ways to look at it. I do think that the reason why they're doing this is because people are tired of the COVID pandemic. People want to get back to the reality of how they're used to living. And that COVID is behaving much more like some of the other respiratory infections that we see, which doesn't mean it doesn't have some danger and it can be harmful to some people. So I think people have to be careful and we have to think about common sense as we make these new guidelines. Mm -hmm. Well, and, you know, we we're talking about um, how so many people want to kind of get back to normal, you know, whatever normal was in 2019 before we, anybody ever heard of, of COVID-19. But you, you don't see as many people wearing masks even um, anywhere you go. Are there places where it's still a good idea to mask, to keep yourself safe, to keep others safe? I'm thinking, Doctors' offices, hospitals, airplanes, I mean, where does it still make sense to mask? Well, I think if you are a particular individual that may be at higher risk, uh, it makes sense probably if you're going to be in a closed setting or a setting where you may be exposed to other people who may be sick, like a doctor's office or a hospital, that wearing a mask makes sense. If you're flying on a plane or you're going to be in some situation where you're going to be nose-to-nose -nose with other people, then if you yourself have some sort of problem where if you get sick, it might be worse for you, it might make sense for people to wear masks. I think it's going to be really hard to convince many people to do that. Certainly in healthcare settings, we do this, and it's very common, especially during the cold and flu season, because it decreases the transmission. And what we see a lot of are the people who come from the community. Uh, they have viruses. Our staff has viruses. So when everyone's wearing masks, it does reduce the transmission in hospitals. And those are some of the places where they're the most vulnerable people who are already very sick. They don't need to catch another virus or other infection. Sure. We do have some callers on the line. Linda, thanks so much for your call. What is your question? Oh, all right. Um, I had my last vaccinations on September 20th of 23, and I caught COVID for the very first time on uh, December 29th, which was very disappointing because I thought I was vaccinated <laughs> well enough. And I'm over that now, but when is the next uh, available time I should get a vaccine? Well, thanks for the call, and I'm sorry that you got sick. I think one of the misconceptions that we didn't do a very good job in talking with people about are what do vaccines actually do. A vaccine is not like a shield, like a bubble around your body. 
where no virus can ever penetrate. A vaccine works to try and decrease the time that you're sick and how severe the illness would be. This is true for polio vaccines, for measles vaccines, even smallpox that we got rid of in the world. Those vaccines only worked when everyone got them and then the virus wasn't circulating very much in the case of smallpox. But if there is polio that is out there and you've been vaccinated, it doesn't mean you won't be infected. It means that you won't suffer the real serious consequences of an infection. So I think to your point, though, if you were vaccinated in September, you got sick in December, my advice generally is to have people wait till the next uh, season, so late summer or next September. And I tend to tell my patients, maybe it's good checking around to see how common viruses are circulating. Are they starting earlier or later? Because October may be the real sweet spot for most vaccinations. You want to give it about six weeks to really get the most bang out of your vaccination. And usually October brings you to Thanksgiving and gives you pretty good immunity over the holidays. Thanks so much for that call, Linda. And again, sorry you got sick. I've had it a couple times. It's no fun, that's for sure. And now we have Odette on the line. Odette, thanks so much for your call. What's your question or comment? Hi, I'd like to ask whether Dr. Fickenbaum thinks that Paxlovid should be prescribed for every COVID infection or only for the more serious uh, symptomatic ones. Uh, and um, Paxlovid is, can decrease the risk of developing long COVID, even for light infections or relatively non-symptomatic infections. Thank you. Yeah, it's a great question. I think we have really good information for certain individuals. So if we know that you're at risk of having more serious complications of COVID, then taking Paxlovid, which is a combination of medications that is directed against the virus that causes COVID, makes sense. I think where it's a little bit tricky is if you're an otherwise healthy person, you're in your 20s and 30s, you don't really have any other health conditions. Does taking Paxlovid make sense? And I don't think we have enough data from randomized controlled trials to prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that it prevents long COVID or other complications. There are observational studies that suggest that may be the case. And so I think we probably need just a little bit more data to know whether or not taking an antiviral makes sense for everyone. Right now, my practice is to discuss it with my patients, to talk about their risks, to talk about if there's anyone else who may be in the household who may be at risk, because what we do know is the antivirals decrease the amount of virus that you shed and do decrease the chance that you might spread it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Thanks for that question, Odette. I know that there's, I've seen a lot of people talk about with um, these antivirals, uh, and I have a family member who got COVID, got Paxlovid, felt so much better right away, but then started feeling cruddy again. Um, and that's had some people talking about a bounce back, but that, it doesn't sound like that's a real scientific kind of way of looking at it. So in our group within the ACTG, which is a national, it's a global uh, clinical trials organization, we did a study. And in that study, 12% of people had a rebound when they got nothing. So 
our own immune system can control the replication of the COVID virus. And then for reasons that are not clear, it may be that sometimes there's a minority variant that the body can't control or that the immune system loses control. People get symptomatic again. So many people blame that on Paxlovid and mm. other medications, but it turns out this is not uncommon at all. Anywhere between 12 to 20% of people may have a rebound on day three to five where you start to get better and then all of a sudden in that next week you get sick again. Mm. People feel like, oh, failure of the medication, but it may be more complicated than that. Okay. Good to know. Well, and, and I feel like uh, we always have so many questions about this when we have you on, but one last question. Do the at-home COVID tests still detect these new variants? It seems like there's a new variant coming up all the time. Can you still trust your at-home COVID test if you administer it correctly to, to pick up on that? Yeah, for the vast number of variants that are circulating still within the Omicron family, the tests are pretty accurate and helpful. I think the problem is twofold. Number one is, are you swabbing your nose correctly and getting the right sample? And number two, are you doing it at the right timing that there's enough virus being produced? So there's many examples of people, well, I tested myself yesterday, it was negative. Then I tested myself today, it's positive. And that just could be that it doesn't have anything to do with the test. It might be more the technique and timing. There is a sweet spot. We know when people have fever right at that moment, the test is usually positive. Hmm. Okay. Well, I've been talking with University of Cincinnati, Gregory W. Ruan, Professor of Internal Medicine, Dr. Carl Fichtenbaum. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you, Lucy. Up next, we'll discuss growing support for Black artists in Cincinnati. This is Cincinnati Edition.